Welcome to a podcast brought to you by the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Our academy is a national organization committed to excellence in orthopedic manual physical therapy practice, education, and research. And we're here to explore a wide range of topics with you through interviews with content experts. Catlin, one of your co-hosts of the AAOMPT podcast. And today we're going to continue our series of reflecting back on the 2019 conference in Florida. As physical therapists are increasingly playing a role as frontline providers in healthcare, the orthopedic manual physical therapists must have a proficient medical screening and clinical reasoning skills to ensure appropriate patient management. So today we have Craig Hensley talking to us about the abdominal exam. He presented this course at the conference along with Emmanuel Young and Carol Courtney. Craig Hensley is an assistant professor at the Department of Physical Therapy and Human Movement Sciences at Northwestern University. He completed his doctorate of physical therapy degree at the University of Illinois Chicago in 2007. His orthopedic residency at University of Southern California in 2009 and his manual therapy fellowship at UIC in 2011. He has published several articles and is co-authoring the Funded Clinical Practice Guidelines for Medical Screening. Dr. Hensley has given over 30 peer-reviewed presentations. He serves as the AAOMPT Research and Practice Affairs Committee, the ABPTRFE Accreditation Committee, and is an external assessor for iFont. Dr. Hensley, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Can you tell us the title of the course you taught at the IOMP conference and give us a little bit about the intentions of the course? Sure. The title of our course was the abdominal exam, recognizing non-musculoskeletal conditions that may warrant a referral to a physician. Basically, what we wanted to do was highlight the importance of not only medical screening, but the use of the abdominal exam and walk through a hands-on demonstration of the abdominal exam and then finish with a couple case presentations that highlight its usage and how it helped the clinician uh, come to a a better conclusion as to how to manage the patient. And the people in this course are mostly practicing physical therapists. How many of them were familiar with the abdominal exam and have been using that as part of their screening tool? You know, that's a good question. I didn't really poll them specifically, but individually I was asking them. Some some of them were saying, yeah, we learned this in PT school. Some of, uh, some of the people that were there had said, yeah, we've, we've never really learned how to do this, so this is very helpful. So I think it was a good review for some people and something new for some, some others. Yes, I'm wondering how standard this would be in the physical therapy curriculum. I didn't learn this in PT school, but I went to PT school quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. For the course, what were some of the primary take-home messages that you were wanting the participants to gather? Yeah, so the take-home message is we basically wanted to highlight why the abdominal exam, why we felt the abdominal exam is often overlooked and why we feel it should be used more frequently, particularly particularly in those with obviously abdominal pain and also in those with low back pain. We feel as though it's something that is not as often used, 
So that's why we wanted to kind of talk about it. And again, our, we wanted participants to come out of this with a understanding of how to do the abdominal exam. So looking at using this, being familiar with palpation, auscultation, percussion, not only of the organs, but also of the vasculature in the area, and then tie that into a, a case so they can see how it can be used to help, help benefit patients. So you mentioned abdominal pain and low back pain. What were the parameters that you suggested for when they should use this? Is it every patient or patients with certain signs and symptoms? Yeah, you're definitely not definitely not something that needs to be used in every patient. But if a patient comes in with any type of GI-related issues, potentially urogenital, gastrointestinal, hepatic, uh, vascular issues, specifically in the abdominal region, we think it's important to go here. You know, for the person who comes in with garden variety patellofemoral pain, uh, they don't think, I don't think you need to do an abdominal exam on every one of those patients. But if you have any suspicion of any, any problem with any of the organs in the abdominal region or any of the other structures that I mentioned, probably a, a good thing to, to at least go through. Yes. And then you mentioned some case studies. Do you mind describing one of your cases? Sure, sure. Actually, so this was, a, this was a patient that one of my students saw while I was practicing in Chicago. It was a 44-year-old male who came in with right-sided flank pain. He had mentioned that his mechanism of injury was he was coughing a lot and had a respiratory infection, and he had been doing a lot more swimming. He kind of tied his abdominal pain into doing more activity coughing. So he's using abdominal muscles more. His diagnosis actually was a diaphragm strain uh, from the referring physician, which is something that I had never had before. So he, there was a, quite a few things that made it worse, but also it was just sitting or sleeping on, on his side. He also was a, I wouldn't say a heavy drinker, but he was drinking anywhere from one to four beers per night. And he also, the one thing that he did mention that kind of cued us into thinking a little bit further into why this might not be a musculoskeletal problem, he said it got, is that it got worse during cardiovascular exercise. And I'll talk a little bit more about that once we get into um, the definitive diagnosis. But on exam, the only thing that really came out in terms of, in terms of his musculoskeletal exam was that he was tender to palpation. Uh, along his along the right side of his, his rib, rib cage, specifically seven and nine, and he also had symptoms with a curl up, um, moving from supine to sit. So okay, so we were thinking maybe maybe he has an abdominal strain, but he was seen for four visits, and by the second week, his symptoms had not resolved, and he came in and he he had mentioned that his pain had worsened overnight and he was drinking heavily the night before. Now, interestingly enough, he had the same objective findings, but because of the subjective uh, report that he was that he mentioned, we were a little concerned that there might be something going on. We found that he was tender to palpation in the area again, like I said, but we referred him to back to his primary care physician and he ended up having a gallstone and was later diagnosed with Gilbert syndrome. And basically what that, that's a genetic disorder where the liver basically just doesn't process bilirubin properly. And basically the, the bilirubin is not converted from unconjugated to conjugated uh, bilirubin. And it can become painful in the area when the body is stressed. 
So when they're when the patient is dehydrated, so in this case he was drinking heavily the night before, or vigorous exercise. So I mentioned earlier how he was exercising and that brought on his symptoms. Well, the fact that he was exercising could make you think, okay, so his body is stressed. That might might be a sign that something is going on internally as well. So this condition's not very prominent. You're only looking at about three to seven percent of all Americans. Men get it more than more than females. But we are fortunate enough to find this within two weeks and direct him in the in the right path. That's great, especially with the student working on this patient. Sounds like you were coach reading with them or consulting. The curious thing about the patient's uh, subjective is pretty typical. They'll associate it with something that's a bit of a red herring sometimes. Mm -hmm. And having to siphon through the subjective and cause and effect where he assumed it was related to coughing. Correct. I'm sure you have other examples where patients lead the therapist astray by making incorrect associations. Definitely. Yeah, I published the case last year in a PT journal about a patient who came in with left-sided shoulder, neck, chest pain symptoms that responded to manual therapy. But over the course of three or four weeks, things were not progressing. We, we referred the patient back to the primary care physician. And see after ordering a CT scan, we found the patient had, had a lung cancer. Oh, that's a scary one to find. The patient in this one that you had just laid out for us, he also had a few key non-musculoskeletal signs. You think you mentioned that it was, one, you couldn't really reproduce the symptoms during the examination. What were some of the other key non-musculoskeletal signs that he had presented with? Well, I think for him, the big, the big thing was the, the subjective history of the alcohol intake the night before. Outside of palpation, for his muscles, in terms of his musculoskeletal exam, outside of palpation to the area, nothing really reproduced his symptoms aside from the, the curl-up. So joint mobility testing was negative. Every other part of the musculoskeletal exam did not lead us to think that this was a musculoskeletal problem. There's key questions that I'll ask if I'm a little uncertain about the origin of the symptoms. One of them, any change within... 20 minutes of eating. Did he have any consistent changes with eating or just the alcohol? Yeah, so well, it's funny you mentioned that. So he, he originally told us that he was, he thought maybe it was related to him going out and eating fatty foods. But we actually tied, we eventually figured it out that the night before he wasn't eating that type of food. He was just drinking heavily. And that is, that's how we tied in the alcohol to his problem. But yeah, so he, you know, so again, it kind of, did the patient kind of lead us astray potentially with his subjective, maybe a little bit, but he, we were able to narrow it down based on a systematic exam. What helps me is having that conversation, having that time to really dig into the before and after effects or the situations leading up. Yeah, definitely. I have no idea what the scenario was with the physician, but that is one piece of the healthcare conundrum sometimes that we actually have and physicians don't, is a little bit more time to really dig deep into their story. Yeah. I mean, so the nice thing about this case was that I, you know, I saw him for four visits, right? And I wasn't able to make a definitive, not that I was able to make a definitive decision by the fourth visit, but you can tell something wasn't going the way we would anticipate. And that in and of itself can be a a bit of a red flag, right? Mm Mm-hmm. When you do your abdominal exam or as you taught it, what are the sequence of how you do it? Do you have a algorithm that you follow or kind of a monogram that 
helps you remember the stages of where you're going to go? Yeah. So it's a four-step process. Like we would in, in any objective exam, we're going to start with observation. So we observe the patient. Uh, we see if there's any discoloration, any temperature changes, any masses. So we're just getting a general idea of what the patient's condition looks just looks like based on observation. Then we're going to move into auscultation. And we move from right upper quadrant to left upper quadrant down to left lower quadrant back over to right uh, lower quadrant. And we're listening for bowel sounds with our, with our stethoscope. Those bowel sounds should occur every two to five seconds. And if you're not hearing sounds, that's indicative that something is wrong. After we do bowel sounds, then we move to percussion. And the reason we do auscultation before percussion or palpation is because we don't want to disturb the system before we listen. So as I said, after we, after we auscultate, then we will percuss. We're looking for two different types of sounds. Tympanic, which is, is, this, is a noise you're going to hear over an air-filled structure such as the lung, or you'll hear a dull sound, which is something that you hear over solid structures. Normally, you would hear that over the liver. On the other side, if there was pathology, say like they had an accumulation of fluid in the abdominal region, and if you percuss that region, you'll hear a, hear a dull sound. That's indicative that that so that sound shouldn't be be in the abdominal region that you're percussing, uh, unless it's over a specific solid structure. After percussion, we move to palpation, and like we would in any exam, we move from light to deep. We're observing for any, any pain that the symptoms that the patient ha- presents with, uh, and again, any masses that we feel or any, anything that seems out of the ordinary. And that's basically the steps to perform in the abdominal exam. Now, in terms of looking for the vascular sounds, we can also both palpate and listen to the aorta, the abdominal aorta amongst other arterial regions of, of the body. We focus mostly on the abdominal aorta, so slightly to the left of the, uh, of the umbilicus. You can, you can hear that if you press relatively deeply with their stethoscope. And from a palpation standpoint, we're looking for, does this person have a wide width of, pulse, of a pulse in the aorta? And if that is greater than three centimeters, it's indicative of uh, an abdominal aortic an- aneurysm. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, yes. So you had also discussed evidence regarding the sensitivity and specificity of the abdominal exam? I did, yes. So the diagnostic accuracy of the abdominal exam, roughly around 50%. Now that's with the physical, the physical exam and the subjective exam alone. More importantly, though, when we make decisions on whether or not something is urgent or non-urgent, the abdominal exam, the subjective and the objective, is a very is a pretty good screening tool. The sensitivity is about 88%. So if something is urgent and needs to be handled right away, the abdominal exam is a, is a very good tool to quickly rule out a serious medical pathological condition. That's helpful. And that would definitely be pertinent to our scenario. So we know to send them to the ER or... Go ahead and make an appointment in three weeks with your primary care. Yeah, well, it's funny. So if you you know, as I'm, when I'm going through the literature on this, the abdo- uh, abdominal pain is the number one, is number one on the list of daily ED visits, but a little bit less than half of those patients leave with a definitive diagnosis. So there's a lot of people out there that have abdominal abdominal pain that don't have a primary diagnosis. So they might not be necessarily referred 
to physical therapy for that abdominal pain, but it would be something that we might want to screen for in our subjective exam. Absolutely. Are there any other pieces of the puzzle that were important for you to convey to the participants in the course you taught? And not in particular, you know, just you, just using the stethoscope. I think oftentimes it is taught that the bell and the bell of the stethoscope is used for certain things. That's controversial in the literature. That's probably the only other thing that I would say that we didn't touch on. But outside of that, no, I think we covered everything. I assume you've taught this to folks in the past too. Are there any key areas that you find that they really need to practice or focus on? Well, we teach this in our DPT program at Northwestern University, and we have an academy student SIG that we ran through this to uh, two weeks before we presented it. So I think, you know, you want to be in a quiet room when you practice this. That's probably the first thing I would suggest so you can actually hear the exam. And, you know, people that you're going to be practicing on are probably not going to have problems. So just getting a sense for what what is normal is is important. Pressing deeply enough with the stethoscope is also another thing that we've we've noticed uh, students have trouble with. They just don't don't, you know, they're not used to pressing that hard with the stethoscope. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to give us a recap of the course you taught this year. Is there any um, take home pieces of the academy that you really enjoyed this year? Well, there was a talk on gluteal tendinopathy, which I thought was done very well. I learned a lot from listening to that. If you had a chance, I would read Grimaldi, G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. Good person. All right. Well, Craig, thank you for joining me today. And I appreciate your time and insight and look forward to seeing you at next year's conference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been a production of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. You can learn more about the Academy by visiting our website at aaompt.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for our acronym, AAOMPT. 